started, I'm losing my structure. Becky, could you introduce yourself first? <laughs> Hi, I'm Becky Anderson. I'm one half of Black Armada Games. Um, I've written games like uh, When the Dark is Gone and Lovecraft-esque and recently Bite Me. And you can find me at blackarmada.com. Lovecraft-esque. That reminds me of another company, another line of games. Call of Cthulhu. Lynn, maybe you can introduce <laughs> yourself now. Hello, I'm Lynn Hardy. I'm the associate editor for Call of Cthulhu at Chaosium. You know, that minor little Call of Cthulhu game you might have heard of. Um, but I've been doing this now for more years than I'm prepared to admit. And Kat, you're not allowed to tell them how long I've been doing this either. Um, and I've worked for Pelgrane Press, Cubicle 7, Green Ronin, Chaosium, Medifius... Oh, quite a few other ones as well. So, yes, I've been around the block a few times. Did that include Pelgrim Press, where Kat works? Oh, yes. So, yes, Kat. I did a lot of stuff for Dying Earth at one point. So, Kat, can, what can you tell us about yourself and Pelgrim? Um, so my name's Kat Tobin, and I'm the co-owner and managing director of Pelgrim Press. So we're a London-based RPG company and we've published games like the D20 13th Age, Knights Black Agents, which is a modern-day spies versus vampires, and Trail of Cthulhu. And as Lynn has pointed out, um, also the Dying Earth RPG. So we don't have much time. I mean, it's a broad topic. We've got a lot of questions to cover. Our first broad question is we're going to try to work out if there's such a thing as British or Irish flavored RPGs? Is there something specific to that? And I thought to start with that, we could start with asking you who is your favorite British or Irish author? Who would that be, Kat? Um, so my, I mean, I'm, I'm really quite biased. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of the best writers, I think, from Ireland and the UK. Um, so I'm going to go with an Irish person uh, because I think the other panelists might focus more on the UK. So my favorite Irish RPG writer is Garth Ryder Hanrahan. I'm biased because he's both a very dear friend of mine and also he's uh, one of our main writers at Grain Press. Um, but he's had a very, very extensive career. You know, he started off like, you know, way back, you know, Fado Fado in the old times, um, writing for things like Blue Planet. And um, then he got Uh, picked up by mongoose and has has basically worked his way through i think all of the all of the uk rpg companies um at some point he's mongoose cubicle seven elgrain um so yeah he's he's very prolific but also just has a really really strong understanding of adventures of adventure structure and he's his style is always quite faithful it's really fun but really learned as well really erudite so He's probably my favorite. Uh, but if, if I had to pick a UK one, it would be one of my co-panelists because they are, having worked with them both, they are both fantastic. Aww. Just one of them. <laughs> oh, both of them. <laughs> They're both great. I, don't make me choose, Callum. Don't make me choose. <laughs> And maybe, maybe Liz will sadly, yeah, I didn't say anything about that. Sadly, Liz won't be joining us today. Uh, she's suffering from uh, a flu, uh, which is very common here in the UK because it rains all the time. But uh, we say our best wishes of uh, uh, getting well soon. Um, so, Kat, you work with a lot of people, but Lynn, I heard you worked with, we've been the editor for a lot of 
British and uh, Irish authors, which one of those people is your favorite? Lynn? Oh, no, 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 no. You are not making me choose a favorite. That's no. I'm not doing that. Come on. You must have <laughs> no, one. No, 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 no. I have to still work with these people. <laughs> No, I'm pleading whatever the gaming equivalent of the Fifth Amendment is on this one. I have worked with a lot of incredibly talented British and Irish writers. Um, I've been very fortunate to write with a lot of, to work with a lot of British and Irish writers. Um, and most of them have been incredibly good. You know, there's been one or two not so great, but, you know, we've usually helped them pull their socks up and develop their, their craft. Um, so, no, I'm definitely not choosing. <laughs> I'm staying out of this. So, Becky, who is your favourite uh, Irish or British RPG author? So, um, I've also got a lot of friends in the community, but I'm not going to skip the question like Lynn. I'm going <laughs> to nail my, my colours to the mask because I do have a favourite author, Um a UK based it's not author. fifth in the UK. We don't have a constitution. It's a parliamentary <laughs> monarchy. I don't know what is this thing. <laughs> uh, but I have a favourite, and that's Joanna Piancaselli. Um, so Joanna Piancaselli, I think part of the reason I love her work is that she's, I kind of consider her to be a bit of a polymath. I think that she can write LARPs, I th which she is, um, she's award-winning LARP write. Um, she wrote Unheroes, which won the first ever Golden Cobra Award, which I've played, which is an amazing game about superheroes. Um, she wrote Before the Storm, which is in Seven Wonders by Pearl Grain Press. Plug that, plug that. Um, <laughs> which is a really beautiful indie storytelling game, which is very emotional. It's, it's just such a beautiful little game, actually. It's, um, it's about the conversations that an adventuring party might have the night before a battle, which most of them won't survive. Um, and I believe that there was an episode of Game of Thrones in the very last run where <laughs> those of us who have played before the storm, we watched the episode and we went, hang on a minute, that's Joe's game. <laughs> that's a TV show of Joe's game, that. Um, it's, just it's, great it's great because it was the only good episode this season. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's what Before the Storm is like, if uh, if anybody fancies playing it. And then I think it was just last, this was it this year or last year that she co-ran Marked? It was last year, I think. It was last year, which we came and marked with uh, Graham Wormsley, which was sort of like a UK blockbuster LARP, which was, um, I think it was like being in the academy, if you being in the um, Professor X's academy at uh, oh. like a Marvel uh, X-Men series. So it's like if you had turned up to the academy, this is kind of the experience you get. And they ran a blockbuster LARP based in the UK, uh, which I believe when I couldn't make it because I have children, but I believe it was absolutely fantastic. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons I love her work. It's very thoughtful, it's very considered, but it's also very broad. She has this kind of very broad brush approach um, and can tackle everything from a blockbuster LARP right through to kind of a small indie style game and just excels at it, whatever she does. So... Amazing. There's so many good stuff out there. Even if I wanted to play only British RPGs, I would struggle to, to keep up. I got a few in my library just there, uh, Taking Dust, which I purchased. I haven't played yet. But Lynn, you skipped the question. So uh, I'm going to put this one on you. I find it's a tricky one. Of all these authors, uh, among which some you love and others you don't, uh, is there anything... I never said I didn't love them. I just said we had to train them better. <laughs> Is this something inherently, yeah, British or Irish? Is there something which takes them apart from US authors you find in, in their work, the way they approach things or, or anything really? 
And that is a good one. Um, Thank I you. I mean, one of the major one of the major things is um, if they're writing scenarios, if they're if they're British and Irish, they don't tend to think about guns quite as much as American writers, particularly for Call of Cthulhu. Um, obviously, there are certain cultural touchstones as well that British and Irish writers will use that American writers won't. Um, there's certain terminology and phraseology that you can you can spot the difference. Um, but a lot of the time, because we've been raised on very similar materials, there's not as many differences as you might think. Do you share that assessment, uh, Becky and Kat? Yeah, I think the guns is a very interesting point. Um, I was a recently part of an online discussion where somebody was asking for advice on how to make a game feel more British. And, you know, all the British people, one of the first things they were saying was guns is, is the culture is completely different. Not only do does the average person not have guns, don't have access to guns. Um, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a policeman with a gun outside of London. You know, you occasionally see policemen with guns inside London, but outside London, it's incredibly rare, usually only when there's pretty much a high terrorist alert going on. And it's just, it's not really in the cultural consciousness in the same way. Um, you know, British people, our cultural experience of guns is farmers have them. If you want, if it's a sporting thing, then they're kept at, you know, there's a club that you go to but you don't have them at home. Um, and then we see them on US TV shows. And, and you know, that apart from the, the gun tragedies that we've had in this country, which have been fairly few and far between, it's kind of quite limited. And it really kind of changes, I think, your, your way of looking at it, solving problems and adventures yeah. and that sort of thing. That was one of the things with Scritch Gratch, um, which I did for Call of Cthulhu, was having run it for American groups and British groups one of the first things the American players usually ask for is, well, well, can we have guns? And funnily enough, as you said, my reply is usually, are you a member of the landed gentry or are you a farmer? Because that's the only way you're getting a shotgun. <laughs> and if not, no. Whereas the British players and most of the European players, they don't ask that question. Cat, beside guns? Uh, yeah, so I think... Violent? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the gun thing that, that Lynn and Becky have both picked up on, I mean, that's a really, really big difference. But I think that extends even further to um, the way that I've seen Americans in particular um, really kind of valorize and prioritize the military. They have a real kind of a... There, there's a really interesting cultural difference in terms of how, and I think this is this is a broader European thing, in terms of how Europeans would view the military versus how Americans do. You know, like it's it's considered, you know, a very respectable job in in the US. A lot of people are very proud of their military background. I encounter, I have met a lot more Americans who have been or are in the military than Europeans in my whole life you know it's just it's a completely different um way of kind of thinking about uh not not just the the gun culture but the kind of the the culture of um aggression and violence and combat in general i think um so that's been a really key thing that i've noticed and also um there's an interesting i find that europeans tend to be and and publisher both publishers and authors tend to be more secular 
in Europe than they are in the US. Um, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of again privileging and I don't want to say respect, but but there's a lot of um, time given to religious views in the US that that and they wouldn't necessarily be treated in the same way I think in European games or by European publishers. So I think that's quite an interesting thing. It's also really interesting um, as somebody who's involved in the RPG industry in the UK, we don't really have a native industry in the same way that there is one in the US. Like I feel like as a, a, a British-based company, Pelgrane is always looking to the US. We're always looking at what's happening there. You know, all of the cultural trends are being set in the US and we're always kind of going, oh, well, how can we bring what they're doing over here? And there's a lot of importing of U.S. kind of cultural values and progressive values and also um, trends in terms of role playing, in terms of what they're doing. And we tend to really take those over here. Like we import them much, much more so than we export them. I mean, I think that's not just true for RPGs. I think that's a cultural. That's the way the cultural exchange tends to go in general. But it means that like as a kind of a, a really um kind of small example uh, a u.s person writing an rpg or publishing an rpg will never think to reference the country that it's taking place in it's just always assumed it's the u.s whereas like in the uk and ireland you know we would always kind of say oh you know it's like we would always talk about the country or you know the city or where, where it is and and uh, situate it in europe i think in a way that u.s people just assume that everything is always in the US and you know it kind of comes as a shock to them to think that there are other places sometimes I think hashtag not all Americans <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to bring the debate on the other side of the the channel uh, but uh, yeah the I, I do want to share a tiny bit about the, the experience in France and Belgium it's interesting how Uh, when you play a game, there's a lot of tropes which are either you played your story in the US because you're following tropes which you find in movies and TV shows or you, you have to change it a lot for them to work uh, in your home countries like uh, superheroes, etc. And uh, you, you mentioned guns. Uh, you were saying not much guns, uh, Lynn, and I was thinking, not much guns? Uh, <laughs> did you work on... Achtung Tulu, maybe it's an interesting way oh, to, slightly to, different. <laughs> to tie the military uh, and the girl culture. I was wondering, uh, and it's not in our structure at all, but since Kat brought the military, um, I think it's quite interesting how, well, in again, the other side of the channel, the, the relationship to the military is even more different than what I witnessed here in Great Britain, where there's a, a great pride in the military. It's quite different in France and Belgium. Uh, it feels like here the military, it's a, it's a relationship to history, maybe, which is slightly stronger rather than something, uh, although the British military are on um, active theaters. Uh, uh, the zeitgeist is a bit more about uh, World War II and World War I, of course. You think is this something you see? You were mentioning uh, being dedicated to mentioning specifying different countries. Uh, do you think also that there's a place to a larger place to history given in role playing games uh, here in the UK and in Ireland? Um, I it's 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 tough to know. I think that there are certain periods in U.S. history, like the Civil War, that that. Americans tend to to go back to and to mine quite a lot for um, for game material. 
But I think that we have a much, our history is much bigger, right? There's a lot more of it. It's more extended. And I think that as a result, we have a much wider field to borrow from. And I think that that has, that does mean that that we tend to use it more for inspiration, more for reference, because, because there's just more of it. And so there were more kind of, there's a, a much wider variety of interesting periods that you can look at and, and, and steal things from for games. You should always start with Earth, as a, a wise friend of mine says. It's interesting. At the same time, I was listening to Hertie um, Died Friends with uh, um, Grant Howitt recently, and he lamented that he thought that somehow uh, Britons were not exploring enough Uh, their own history, especially uh, older history, like the Celts, the Saxons, and this sort of things. Uh, I'm personally not informed, so I don't know if there are role-playing games which explore that uh, more. There, there are. I think yeah. a lot of it comes down to what you're taught in school. Mm. So there are certain historical periods that get hammered into you in history lessons in school. So they kind of become the default fallback position. So as you said, World War One, World War Two, the Victorian era. Mm. Um, but there are certainly lots of games out there. If you pick a historical period, there will be a game that somebody has written, be that uh, an, ind an indie game, um, a, an establishment game. It, it'll be out there. Yes, I think I was going to just quote Age of Arthur, which I think is set... In sort of dark, is that Dark Ages Britain, Age of Arthur by? Um, um, I would have thought so. Yeah, I think that's Dark Ages Britain. Uh, I, th I think one of the things that I think is so wonderful about British and Irish history is that we've got lots of different flavors. If you know what I mean, Dark Ages Britain is really different to medieval times. It's really different to the Victorians. It's really different to World War One, and you can create um, some really genre-focused games in these historical periods, which will feel radically different to each other. And I think that's a really, I think Grant's got a really good point there. It's a really interesting thing to explore. Um, and, and I think there are games out there doing it, but perhaps not, it's not quite as ubiquitous, um, which is a shame. Yeah. There's a, sadly, Liz is not with us uh, today. I was hoping that she would be the voice of the big uh, Dungeon and Dragon uh, <laughs> among us today. Um, yeah, is Dungeons and Dragon appropriation of European history and British history? I guess in a way, uh, or, or, or do Britons take Dungeons and Dragons? Do they give their own twist? Do you have any views on that, uh, the three of you? I personally feel, I don't, I, the thing about, The UK and Britain is that Britain had an empire. They went off and they aggressively and abusively colonized a whole load of other people in a really horrific way. And they did some terrible things. I don't really feel like Dungeons and Dragons is appropriating a colonialist culture because I don't really feel like you can appropriate a colonialist culture. I think that I think what I look at when I see Dungeons and Dragons and I've played Dungeons and Dragons many, many times and I have a lot of fondness for it in my heart. I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons. I've played it when I was 11 onwards. But when I look at it, I see a, it kind of feels a bit old fashioned to my eyes in terms of its genre setting. I look at it now as, a, as an adult and I see lots of colonialist influences um, from British history, which have kind of been woven in without a, 
perhaps as much interrogation as there should have been about whether those themes are interesting, appropriate. Um, and and that that's kind of feels kind of sad to me. Um, but I think that it's almost like Dungeons and Dragons just kind of keeps some of those colonialist themes kind of ticking along when really there's there's more interesting stories, there's more interesting things to do out there that I would like to see um, coming out more. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, there's an awful lot of British history and what is classed as Britishness isn't even vaguely British. We stole it from elsewhere. <laughs> Most of what makes us great, we took from other yeah. places. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being very quiet. I'm not going to get into the, the, Irish, the Irish question. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Becky, definitely. I think that... Um, I mean, I, I feel like D and D comes from a fantastical view, uh, a, an, a fantastical interpretation of British history. Um, but it, it it does feel grounded, certainly, and as Becky's touched on, very much grounded in European kind of history in that kind of um, Western colonizer culture. You know, there are very any any other peoples are generally seen as not as good as humans and there's there's a strong kind of a, a separation there and a lack of of integration and and variety i think um that's as becky's already there said. I say classism? yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think yeah. if you wanted a game which felt very british i don't know about irish so much but very british then you would have a massive amount of classism in it because um i think Going back to what you said, actually, Kat, you know, America, if you look at American cultural frameworks, guns, but particularly religion is a really important cultural framework for America. In England um, and Britain, it's class. If you take the kind of the embedding of religion and how it has impacted the culture of US and substitute class in the UK, at least, I would say that that was our thing that we're grappling with. And, you know, Classism is a massive problem in the UK today. Still, we're still grappling with classism. It's, you know, it, I think one of the really interesting things about when you talk about setting games in world wars, World War One, World War Two, is that the men who were mown down, who were sent from Britain to fight overseas and who were mown down were, you know, mostly working class conscripts. You know, I think that's kind of the real tragedy of you know, the deification that we have of World War One and World War Two is that although we kind of deify their sacrifice, we never really completely unpick the class structures which put them there in the first place. And I think, you know, that's a real shame. And that's, you know, it's a thing that when I'm playing in World War One and World War Two influence games, that's something I kind of try and keep in my own mind. That was actually simple. Go ahead, Callum. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you there for a second. What did you say, was, sweetie? Uh, uh, I, was I was actually completely disconnected for a second. Okay. Uh, my internet connection isn't still. Anyway, uh, I was just thinking, role-playing game very British. I think you should have have and have. It's magic rather than money, so it's fun. People, magic people don't have it. Okay. And let's, to make it British, should be a ball. I wonder why no one thought about a role-playing game based on that, or series of books. Actually, so there's no chance Chaosium is getting Harry Potter, is it? 
no one will ever get Harry Potter. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I, I heard a rumor that, yeah, that, that J.K. Rowling is just not a, a role playing fan. Like she just does not want there to be a role playing game of it. So, I don't, yeah, so I don't is know. the rumor. So to yeah. close the, I mean, uh, by all means, something uh, on Jacob Publishers and notes from and uh, I was wondering, uh, each of you, if you could tell, do you think there's one significant contribution to role-playing game, to the hobby, which came out as a, as a publisher, as a line, or anything which came out of, uh, yeah, here between the channel and the pond? So just, I just broke up yeah. quite a lot there. Would you say what yep. what significant role playing games yep. have come out of um, the? If UK you had to name one one major contribution from uh, British and Irish role playing game publishers and authors to the hobby, what would that be? If any, oh, got to be fighting fantasy books, hasn't it? Yeah, mm, nice. closely. I would have said by yep. Warhammer. Yeah. I was going to say Warhammer. Yeah, that was going to be my yeah my, my thought on it. Um, yeah, I think those are those are kind of the big two, aren't they? Really, mm, I think so. I'm trying to think of something more in the traditional kind of RPG space. I mean, there have been some amazing games which have come out of like the UK in particular. Our our publishing industry here in Ireland is not as well developed as we might like it to be. Um, but in terms of like really kind of you know genre defining kind of yeah. games, yeah. I think, yeah, definitely Fighting Fantasy, Warhammer. It's interesting because if Fighting Fantasy is a major contribution to role-playing game, then, I mean, it's controversial, but did role-playing game then start it with Gary Gygax and and Dungeons & Dragons? Because there were uh, write-your-own-adventure books back in uh, 39 or something like that. keep losing the reference uh, to this. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, H.G. Wells did his own little war game that had some elements of role playing in it, if I remember right. So there've been there've been elements of it around. Obviously, as long as as children have run around waving sticks at each other, playing, let's pretend, you know. So it's it's just codifying it, getting those rules on paper, getting other people to buy those rules and play them. Really, is when you you see that sort of development of a gaming industry. So from now on, let's say that A.G. Wells created role-playing games and we beat the the Americans to it. Yeah. I just had a thought there, actually, while um, Lynn was talking about kind of, I'm still kind of stuck on this, like, formative games to come out of the UK thing, because I'm like, there. I know that there were some. And a thing that, that like, something that seemed to me to really punch above its weight in terms of um, uh, inspiring other games was uh, Slay Industries. Which yes. is kind of very early, and if, I, I don't know. Did you work on that then? I did. Um, yes, yeah. I used to moonlight from my PhD. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I used to slink away the weekend to Glasgow to get a break from the PhD. No, but I th- I'm but not familiar I mean, with that. What is it? Oh, Lynn, do you want to? Yeah. Well, it was. Um, it was a really dark dystopian future game um, written by um, Jared Earl, um, David Allsop, and a variety of wonderful people. Um, and it it was, I mean, it was it was really very influential. 
very was, influential on British yeah, gaming. I think, but not just on British gaming, but also I think on US horror gaming. I think it really kind of taught a lot of Americans what you could do with with horror and like directions that you could take horror gaming. Like I've heard an awful lot of people say that it was a really big influence on them or really inspirational for them. And I think I think we'd be remiss as well to not mention um, James Wallace and Hogshead because yeah. they did a lot of, I mean, they're, you know, like Woofer, like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was... Um, was a, a great game and again you know I think quite important in terms of an influence but um the oh my gosh I'm going blank the game about no, the, was, the the amber is paranoia British or is it American at first it's American at yeah first. it's not American at first I mean there's the tales yeah. of Baron Munchausen yeah um oh I mean Baron Munchausen and Once Upon a Time are yeah. both really no. you know we're both big influences like the indie noblest that's the game I was trying to think of yeah <laughs> but uh, but I think that those three all kind of again showed people you know they were they were quite early on they were kind of like late 90s and I think they really showed people that you could expand the role playing you know or kind of gaming out into other directions I think they were all quite formative in that way as well. I was going to give an, um, yeah, oh, an honourable mention and, and you um Captain Lynn might know more than me, but the British freeform LARP or parlor LARP tradition, I think, has always been incredibly strong. And the kind of the, um, I'm thinking of um, Peaky Convention in the UK, which is a a LARP writing convention um, in the particular kind of, so not sort of what I would call Boffer LARP or Rubber Sorting LARP and not camera the UK mind's eye theatre but I think that our tradition of the creation of freeform LARP which is very just our tradition created of freeform LARP was very distinct to Nordic LARP um, although now there's obviously a lot more crossover between the two but I think that the freeform the UK British and Irish freeform tradition um, has always been quite strong. Yeah, I would I would say it is. It is very strong, and I would also say that there is a lot of cross pollination between the two. I mean, I took a break from tabletop role playing and did mostly freeform for for a while, um, and certainly the things that we did in freeform informed my then role playing tabletop role playing writing when I came back, uh, and an awful lot of the writers have done some freeforming. Um, one of the conventions, obviously Continuum, there's a lot of, yeah. that's a very old, um, long-going convention in its form as Convulsion and Continuum that has a huge free-forming element alongside the tabletop. And you get people going backwards and forwards between the two. So, yeah, I think they've both helped feed into each other and hopefully shared some really good practice and allowed sort of like a real strength to develop in the British and Irish gaming industry through working alongside each other. Very much so, I think, yeah. I mean, my understanding is that a lot of the UK freeform tradition comes from um, the New England uh, freeform tradition that was kind of, but they were definitely, they definitely developed in parallel. And the idea of Peaky, where um, a group of people all go together uh, to little groups of cottages and write a LARP over the weekend, which is then playtested by the other people there. I mean, that's a really strong concept and really, you know, and it's it's been adopted now in the US and I think also in New Zealand. You know, a lot of people have gone, oh, actually, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that and taken that format and adapted it in other ways. So so Peaky in particular has been really, it's been really format. 
really, yeah, really kind of inspirational and really influenced a lot of other ways that people write chamber LARPs in particular. And yeah, and, and consequences, the chamber LARP uh, convention, um, yeah. which is on every November, is also, yeah. again, it's a really strong kind of a, a base for that kind of chamber LARP. Uh, UK freeform, kind of, as we call it. Let's let's discuss conventions at, uh, towards the end. We will come back uh, on that that topic. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I should have said that at the beginning. We sort of structuring the thing. We're talking about publishers now, and then we're going to talk uh, a bit about the community and then conventions. So if you are in the chat room, please throw your questions. So you're a bit past time to ask about publishers, although you can try. And Tom uh, is going to uh, forward those questions. To us, so uh, and a shameless plug. If you want to hear about the history of roleplaying game in the UK and James Wallace, I got a two-part episode on the Rollis podcast, which was uh, quite nice, and I made James drink quite a bit of uh, our maniac, <laughs> and he, he, he made a lot of revelations. Including, I'm sure that didn't take a lot of effort to do. To be quite honest, this is James. <laughs> I cooked dinner, we brought Armagnac, and uh, we heard about stuff which happened with former prime ministers, so you should go check it out. But you were all mentioning about your, your experience in conventions, etc. What about the players? Uh, always the, if, you know, we were talking before we started uh, with Lynn, how difficult it is to, to have an, an impression of what's actually going on in everybody's little cottage, living rooms, back rooms, attics, uh, conventions, or online World 20 nowadays. Um, I guess maybe to give it a start, what is your feel uh, for each of you of what are the the popular games here in the UK? And I'm, I'm going to throw one thing right from the start, and you can say I'm totally wrong or right. My own feeling is that a bit like in France and Belgium, this slightly less of a domination of Dungeons and Dragons than there is in the US. Becky, uh, what do you think of that? Uh, I, I would agree with that. So my experience of conventions that I was going to uh, talk about was the Sheffield conventions. Um, and that's because I live very close to Sheffield and it's my kind of home turf. Uh, but the Sheffield conventions, there's a series of role-playing conventions that run in Sheffield at the Garrison Hotel. Um, and they're just they're a really beautiful set of conventions. They started with one and now they've expanded. I think we're up to about four or five, maybe even six conventions a year um, in the Garrison Hotel. And whilst there was always, you know, a D&D game on offer at the conventions, it's it's a very, very broad, I think, broad brushstroke, actually. There's a lot of Monster Hearts, a lot of Apocalypse World, a lot of Savage Worlds actually gets a lot of play in Sheffield. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't say there's a particular domination of D and D. There might be one or two games over the course of a weekend. Um, but actually, I would say you, you're more likely to get things like Apocalypse World and Savage Worlds, um, and that sort of thing. And, and I, I kind of quite value the fact that I can go away um, for a weekend and probably play in three or four, five different systems over the course of a weekend. As a designer, that's brilliant because that means that I get to see four or five different, sometimes quite radically different systems and get to experience them all, which is just fabulous. Because certainly from our side of things, getting to play can often be the real trick. Um, So I know we're talking a bit early about conventions, but yes, as, as Becky says, you know, getting to go to a convention and just having that freedom and opportunity to play in 
any number of different systems so that you're keeping your ideas fresh and your mind open and you're keeping your eye open for the new things that are happening and what games people are playing and enjoying. It's a, it's a really, really great experience to be able to go and have. Yeah, I think, I think certainly that's also true. Like, I think that, that what you've both said about the, the, the dominance of D and D in in Ireland or at Irish conventions in in terms when compared to US conventions you know it's it's nowhere near the same level of saturation and even things like um if you look at something like the Pathfinder Society um there is a an Irish Pathfinder Society but it doesn't have that same level of just total penetration that I've seen in the US where it's like every convention will have an extensive Pathfinder Society kind of uh, track running and it's the same with D&D, you know, it's there will automatically be multiple tracks of D&D or at least multiple games if, you know, the commission is smaller. And we we just start, we certainly don't have that in Ireland. You know, it isn't as dominant. We're a lot more. I think I think we're a lot more because we're a small country. We're really influenced a lot by people's pet choices. Like if a GM finds a game, they'll really kind of plug that and then there'll be like a little flurry of people playing that. For a while so there is much more there's much more of a dependence on personal recommendation i think in in the irish kind of convention scene in, in particular in terms of games that are played and run there it is slightly different um certainly in the local board game cafes and things that i've seen up here at least anyway there is a very heavy reliance on D&D but that's mostly because it's new players and that's the thing they've heard of mm -hmm. because they've come across mm -hmm. it through things like Critical Role so that's what they want to try because that's the thing they're aware of but obviously what board game cafes and game shops are, are providing is very different because they're catering to a very specific local demand as opposed to what a convention's doing when you've got people coming in from all over to sort of like run games, play games and experience games together. And I assume yeah. if we were, I don't know if such numbers are available, but I remember seeing some statistics regarding Roll20, because it's a specific platform, but there the, uh, a lot of people <laughs> and really a lot, capital letter, uh, portion of the players were playing Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition or Pathfinder and then quite a bit of OSR and then only you had a little piece of your... Uh, Camembert, which was shared by uh, a number of other games, is is. Do you sell more? Uh, do you sell more Call of Cthulhu in the UK? You would say per capita than in the US. I don't know if you have any idea of that. I know, you were telling me Japan is your big country. That's where everybody's big in Japan. But uh, yeah, I don't honestly know about the British figures. He said I know about the Japanese versus the rest of the world figures, but no, I, I honestly couldn't tell you how British sales stack up versus US sales. Um, I mean, like, as I told you before, um, our sales in Japan basically outstrip the rest of the world altogether. So... <laughs> as right, I heard that in Japan, Call of Cthulhu is the cultural touchstone like D&D &D is yes. for everybody else. That, is that right, Lynn? It is, yeah. The biggest demographic of gamers... Uh, for Call of Cthulhu is actually Japanese women aged 18 to 35. That's amazing. I Isn't it? I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. 
that's that's so yeah i mean it just must look like such a different culture when you compare it to like the u.s one yeah yeah no it was, it was fascinating sure. when i found that out just, just to defend myself, I got nothing against Dungeons and Dragons. I would just be always when when there's a, a big, big winner. I'm I'm for the challenger. So if I was Japanese and in Japan, I would be there saying people should play more Dungeons and Dragons. Why is everybody <laughs> playing Call of Tulu? <laughs> like, I think that's a really good point that, that that Lynn made about the game stores, though. You know, like I think that maybe like the three of us in particular, because we're so. Um, because we're so familiar with the world of RPGs, we know what's out there. And so we and the people that we know and maybe the people that we tend to associate with tend to play other games rather than D&D. But like certainly if you go into any game store in Ireland, you will be lucky to find anything other than D&D in it. That's all that's there. So I guess all of those people must be somewhere there. They must be in Ireland somewhere. Um, so maybe it is just, maybe this is just that we're coming from a different kind of, a different RPG culture effectively to as Lynn pointed out, like new people who are coming into the hobby and, and only asking for and so being sold and playing D D because that's all they know. But that's the wonderful thing about conventions is the fact that if we can get them into the local gaming stores and we have flyers there for conventions, we can get them to to conventions and we can start showing them the fact that there is a whole entire other world of games out there because D&D isn't for everybody. I mean, I have a very soft spot for soft spot for D&D. I started running Redbox because I was handed it by my gaming group and told to run it for them because they hadn't played it in years. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't suit everybody. But it's a great gateway. Yeah. I think as well, it's also about telling stories. That's what yeah. we're all doing this for, isn't it? Because we all love telling stories. D&D allows you the um, the privilege of playing one story, which is awesome and cool. And sometimes that's the story I want to play. And I do still play D&D sometimes and I still love it. And sometimes I want to play different stories. And the system that D&D has created is brilliant for playing D&D stories. It's not brilliant for playing other types of stories. Uh, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is that there's so many other tools out there. It's like if I want to eat chocolate cake, then I want to make a cake that's got chocolate in it. But if I really want to eat a lemon meringue pie, then I, oh. why would I put chocolate in that? That's not. That's not. Yeah, I mean, I think. I'm hungry yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think the point. The thing. A thing that I always say is that there are other. Is that role playing is a medium, and there are. It's a medium for telling stories. There are always. There are so many other games, and you know, to steal Becky's analogy, you know, chocolate cake is not the only cake. There are other cakes. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there because somebody requested it from that. I did a short segment for Pocket Mimic and I explained my metaphor, which I think, sorry, I think I just worked it out. So picture this. Gaming is food. All right. Roping games are Italian food. D&D is pizza. I need to republish this interview because it was taking out, but uh, yeah, I recommend people to, to check it out. Uh, sorry for jumping in because you mentioned store and it reminded me something which happened to me. Uh, I had Satine Femix uh, visiting us here in London as part of D&D in a Castle. And the first time she visited us, she told me, I want to visit, uh, I want to meet club and visit stores. And I, go to, I want to go to stores where there are clubs which I can meet. And it was very difficult for me to try to explain uh, something I, which I found out myself because it's even more different in uh, on the other side of the channel, which is uh, at least in London, uh, 
clubs don't meet in stores because stores often are very small. Clubs meet in pubs, which is also a very small specific kind of venue because it's for adults only it's a meeting place on the upper floor it's shared with other association uh yeah where do you know people play in the uk and ireland beside uh because i mean in here in london we play wherever because we don't have space and we meet on the the floors on the ground of the softbank center in the street my first game here was in the basement of a costa coffee it's all over the place so i don't know what's your own experience and what it's like outside london i just so want to I, give a quick oh sorry go for it uh, i was just going to give a super quick shout out to eclectic games in reading they have an amazing they're a game store like a, re, a game store with a fantastic range of stock but they have like dedicated gaming tables as well in their upstairs area so if you ever want to if you ever want to go to a dedicated game store to play games column go to reading eclectic games right we've got mad boon cafe here that yeah, yeah which is it's got a great space we, we should have an event there together soon. Let's discuss. <laughs> Lynn, where do you play oh, in uh, um, Newcastle? Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate in the fact that Newcastle, we have Travelling Man. Uh, and Travelling Man has a basement. Uh, so they regularly run gaming nights. They support Free RPG Day. I've gone down. I play-tested Shadows of Atlantis uh, in their basement. Um, recently, beginning of this year, uh, we had our friendly local board games cafe open. They have a very strong RPG thread going now, community going. Um, we had the Call of Cthulhu starter set launch party there. Um, mind you, we had the Call of Cthulhu uh, 7th edition launch party in a cocktail bar in Newcastle, uh, which was very, very nice. We all got done up in 1920s gear and had our cocktails and ran games. So, yes, uh, pubs, cafes, comic shops, board game cafes, um, bars, uh tea shops um i've there was a um, cogs cakes and sword sticks was tested out in a tea shop in middlesbrough they were very Makes confused um, <laughs> <laughs> what are these lunatics doing in the middle of our tea shop um but they were very happy because we were buying lots of tea and cake so yeah i mean i've, I've gamed in a lot of places um i think D in a castle you. sounds nice but Call of Cthulhu in a speakeasy sounds better. It was great. <laughs> I have played games in the castle as well. Because um, as I mentioned to you before we went on air, um, we, we have so many castles in this country, we let students live in them at Durham. Uh, Durham Castle is actually part of the University College Hall of Residence. Uh, and we had friends there uh, when I was at university. So I've run um, a vampire game uh, in Durham Castle. Um, and, you know, you know, you, you can do these things. <laughs> I think that you make a good point though about student societies. So I was lucky enough when I was a student, I went to Oxford University and the thing about being at Oxford, well, one of the many things about being at Oxford University is that students, when I was there, got to rent rooms in their colleges for free. And of course, colleges, like Lynn said, they can be the most amazing Baroque Victorian buildings. They can be modernist look like spaceships almost on the inside and I have played in some of the most beautiful rooms in Oxford University for free and so if you can find yourself a student society um, and I'm sure that Oxford isn't the only one that has a good role-playing tradition there are almost certainly going to be rooms college rooms that get booked out in universities for role-playing on a pretty regular basis um, but locally now I'm now I'm grown up and moved away from university um, uh, we 
we have a local gaming group that meets every Friday night and we in a church hall. Church halls are a mainstay of UK um, rentable spaces, uh, cheap rentable spaces, and uh, we share it with the ladies' Zumba class on the other side. And, uh, and for me, but I mean, that's like a perfect British experience, isn't it? You go in, there's an aerobics class going on in one room, you know, there's probably some sort of parish meeting going on in another room, and then there's board games upstairs and role playing downstairs. and quite affordable prices to you know, kind of rent to rent the room because you have to pay to rent the room so what is it like in ireland uh Kat? um i mean i hate to perpetuate stereotypes but we do like You're most not playing of the... a potato field <laughs> are you no <laughs> no um, but we do most of the affordable rentable rooms in ireland are in pubs so we as Like, you know, like Becky was saying, most of my formative Irish role playing was as part of uh, the University of Cork uh, Student Society Warts. So we we role played all over campus, literally in any location where a couple of us would get together, we'd role play. Um, and we have, we've also role played quite often on public transport, like particularly vampire LARPing back in the day, it used to bleed over a lot into real life. So um, my friend has like a really funny story about having traveled to Glasgow, a group of Irish vampire players having traveled to Glasgow for a vampire LARP and um, on the train on the way back very loudly in their Irish accents, uh, talking about having to take somebody out because, you know, he had just, he had revealed too much and they were just going to have to kill him. And uh, they didn't get arrested, you know, which is one of our... <laughs> Our friends group's taglines. Nobody died. Um, so that was all good. Uh, we did have British Secret Service um, once uh, try to arrest some of our players for a campus-wide game that we did in our college, though. So got very lucky that time that no one died. But that's a whole other story. But yeah, so we used to play a lot in campus as, as students. But now as grown-ups, it's almost all pubs. Um, we have like a lot of kind of uh, game societies that ex-students have kind of set up around the cities and they're all like meeting in rooms and pubs so that's that's where we are or in people's houses as well you know like I'm I live quite remotely in Ireland and I'm really excited because a board games cafe has literally just in the last two weeks opened up in my hometown so now I'm going to be running all my games there which is very exciting but but previously I was just doing a lot of gaming online that's that's where I'm doing most of my gaming at the moment so, so in the chat room we got caro emd who confirms that in cambridge they meet in bookshops and pubs but they, they sadly don't have a friendly local game shop uh, i've got tom from the rpg academy who uh, is frantic and he thinks it's important i made a case to say that at academicon in ohio most of the games are not dungeons and dragons so <laughs> well done academicon well done <laughs> I don't want anyone to think we're like hating on D and D. I no. have a lot of love for it, but it's like I don't want to. I don't only eat chocolate cake in my life. <laughs> the pizza, the pizza. Oh, pizza! I'll send yeah. you the link so, once it's pizza, back online. Yeah. <laughs> cake, pizza, pasta, lemon cake. We want to eat it all. Don't forget the cheese. And cheese, mm. yes. Don't forget the cheese. Lots pizza. Pizza is great. It's versatile. You can do a lot of things with it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'm 
amazed we are on time uh, with the planning. So we can, uh, since we don't have more questions, uh, please, uh, chat room, feel free to throw some. Uh, we can move in your optional uh, section, which is about British and Irish conventions, which we sort of mentioned already, and we can completely dwell uh, on it now. Uh, well, quite simply, which are the most interesting RPG conventions around here? Which one should uh, fellow uh, role players travel across the channel or the pond or from down under to come visit and play with us? Kat, you're, you're the big specialist. I think you organized some of those, aren't you? I, d I did, yeah, meat. exactly. Um, I've, I've um, run three conventions in the UK and Ireland and been involved with the committee, I think, for five. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've got around a bit. I am, I am absolutely, you know, completely unselfconsciously with no crowns whatsoever going to say Irish conventions. Um, there are two, the two biggest ones are WarpCon, which is the one in Cork, uh, you know, that's that's my home convention. So it is the one I'm slightly more biased towards. Uh, but also there's GaleCon in Dublin as well. And either of those, I would I would definitely recommend everyone try them out at least once. Irish conventions have been recognised by anyone who's ever travelled to them from outside Ireland as having a really different flavour to conventions anywhere else. Um, a lot of that is due to the fact that uh, in large part they take place in pubs um, or there are a lot of social events in the evenings that take place in pubs, but there's a real sense of community there. They tend to be smaller than conventions in other countries, obviously, because we're a smaller country. And so they're much friendlier. You know, you will make new friends if you come to an Irish convention. People will just bring you into their game. They'll chat to you in the pub. They'll probably take you out for dinner. You know, Irish people are very welcoming and very friendly. And that, that kind of national, um, tendency really flavors our conventions i think here in ireland um so they're both i mean gelcon and warpcon are both great i um was a co-founder of a fully residential convention called k2 which happens in kerry um, and that's a really nice little board games convention as well to go to what is um, what does that mean fully residential i'm not familiar with that term um it just means that basically everyone goes away we rent out some holiday homes and everyone goes away and, and lives and games in these holiday homes in um, a remote part of Kerry. Well, it used to be Kerry, it's now moved to Waterford. Um, but yeah, so it's it's just you go there and you stay on site for the whole, the whole time. So it's not like everyone leaves in the evenings, everyone is there kind of together playing and, uh, you know, and eating together, drinking together, playing together you know, for the whole kind of the whole uh, duration of the convention, basically. Cool. Lynn, someone was asking me if, is there such thing as Call of Cthulhu specific convention somewhere outside Japan? Um, there is um, one that I can definitely tell you about. It's sadly in Europe. It's actually in Poland, um, and that's Carcosa. Why is it sad? <laughs> it's, it's not it's sad because it's a wonderful country. convention. Um, but obviously, this is UK and I Irish gaming, so it's slightly further afield. But there is, and like I said, it's Carcosa Con, and that's in Chocha Castle 
in Poland, which is amazing and definitely doesn't have any vampires on it. Um, so, you know, in terms of a setting for Call of Cthulhu convention, it's fabulous because it's got secret passages. And there's like, you'd be doing a panel and really overexcited gamers will just pop out of a wall giggling because they've been running up and down all the secret passages. It's fantastic. I think Yog Sothoth um, do a convention or did do a Cthulhu convention, but I'm not sure whether that's still going. Um, convulsion and Continuum, when they when they first started, were um, Chaosium specific, but they're not so much anymore. So, but in terms of actual sort of British and Irish, other than possibly the Og Sothoth one, I don't think there necessarily is. Or if there is, I am woefully ill-informed and somebody needs to tell me about it so I can go along and scare people. Well, I think all three of us have have Cthulhu games, basically, that that we've worked on. So, you know, if the three of us on this panel don't know about your convention, <laughs> it, it is not being advertised well. But also, yes. there's clearly, clearly a gap in the market, though, for, you know, a UK or Irish-based Cthulhu convention. Mm. <laughs> Can I license the copyright this idea somehow? <laughs> <laughs> Becky, outside the world of big publishers like uh, Pelgrin and Chaosium, uh, what's the indie scene like for conventions? Uh? I think the indie scene is really strong for conventions in the sense that I think that British conventions from Dragon Meat through UK Games Expo, which is our big trade convention, right through to the smaller ones like the Sheffield conventions, they always have a really diverse slate of games. You go along to those, you can play things by the big publishers, but there will also be quite a lot of opportunities at them to play a real myriad of indie games. And that's one of the things I think is so brilliant. And not just your Apocalypse World or your Fiasco and your kind of your big name indie role-playing games that come from the US, but they're actually quite a, a pretty strong showing of homegrown um, indie games at these conventions so um, for example the Sheffield conventions which I've talked about a lot but which are really close to my heart um, Revelation is a Sheffield convention which happens in February which is a powered by the apocalypse only convention so you can go for a weekend and play entirely PBTA games all weekend um, but because I think the nature of the beast is that the UK and Irish world is quite small as publishers and gamers and designers. We all know each other. The chances are that if you go to Dragon Meet or UK Games Expo, then there'll almost certainly be somebody who's either written an indie game or is mates with somebody who's written an indie game who is running their mate's game at the convention. And so you do get to play. Um, so I know that Liminal is getting a lot of play at the moment at a lot of British conventions. Liminal is by Paul Michener. It's been nominated for an Emmy for Best Writing, I think. Yep, I think so. Aren't you all nominated for an Emmy somehow? Am I the only one not nominated? <laughs> I'm, I'm I was only... really hoping I would be this year and it's not happening. But you all are, I am not. I'm only nominated because I'm riding off Pelgrane's coattails. Not at all. <laughs> No, you know you're validly nominated as um, oh gosh, yeah, best monster adversary for hideous creatures. Yeah. yeah. So. Nice. You you were saying uh, is going back on previous topic, but uh, we we sort of skipped on that. Uh, Becky, you told me that you felt that uh, there are several inky in British indie games which don't get the traction they they deserve. I think that's true. I think there's actually a really strong tradition of indie role playing in the UK. But even in the UK, we're still playing 
more monster hearts, more apocalypse world, more fiasco, um, more uh, masks than we are playing um, Liminal, uh, Spire, uh, Legacy. Um, and I think that actually, if you kind of really kind of scratch the surface, there is a really strong tradition of indie game writing going on. James Mullen writes some amazing games. Um, he wrote, uh, is the person who wrote Hot War? Is he? Yeah, he's in, he's in Scotland. Yeah. Hot War is a, Cold City and Old War. Yeah. Um, 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 I think it's, is it Blood and Honour by James Mullen is a really great game. And I think that we have got, is really, obviously Cogs, um, and sword stick cogs, cakes, and sword sticks. I think we've got a really strong tradition, but we're perhaps not playing our own games as much as we ought to. We are playing them, and uh, like I will go back to my earlier point that if you go to a UK convention, any UK convention, you will be able to play indie games on at the convention. There is always a really strong presence, and we're getting a lot of gaming on demand now, um, which is an, a UK, so which is a US invention, games on demand, which has come over to the UK. But if you go to any of the big conventions in the UK these days, you can have games on demand, which is you know huge amounts of indie, wall to wall indie. Um, but I think that we could stand to uh, have a bit more love for our own games and our own designers. And I remember I was at a, a panel at Dragon Meet many years ago where somebody sort of said to me, "Why do you think that we don't have a British?" or Irish, say, equivalent of Powered by the Apocalypse. So Powered by the Apocalypse, big indie system um, that's been hacked. It's really, really good. Since I've written in the Powered by the Apocalypse hack. And I sort of said to people, I think maybe part of the reason that we don't have kind of a breakout Powered by the Apocalypse hack from the UK or from Ireland is because we're all playing Monster Hearts in the Apocalypse world. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're all playing Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World and Fiasco and Blades in the Dark, well, then our games aren't getting, the, our homegrown systems aren't getting the same traction. Yeah. They're so good systems. There's some assumptions also. I guess it's a bit like you were saying, uh, um, US players uh, or adventures, they just say uh, it happened somewhere and people picture a place in the US. That's it. You don't, don't need to specify. I think uh, what I've noticed is that when I ask a question, oh, can you name a game from uh, this country or this country? Often people don't care and they make assumptions. So, uh, well, mentioning again Grant Owit, uh, I've interviewed quite a few critters uh, at MCM Comic Con London. And uh, many of them don't know that uh, Honey Heist and all these games played on Critical Role and made popular by Critical Role as a side uh, to Dungeons and Dragons are are, are British. Uh, on one hand, it doesn't matter. <laughs> on the other hand, the problem is that because it doesn't matter, the result is not that oh we know it's written somewhere in the world. No, it, the assumption is that it's written. In the in the US, uh, we yeah people. I guess Britons are more discreet. I mean, it's, it's more professional experience, but uh, the Americans tend to to be more expressive. While the Britons are, I mean, it was interesting. We got the D and D Euro tour, which happened. Hopefully, will be online. It was quite interesting to see Mark Holmes and Grant Owit on the same panel as someone like TJ Storm and Satine and see how culturally the modes of communication are slightly different. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, I think that is definitely a part of it. I think that Americans are, tend to be much better at putting themselves out there than, than British and Irish people. We, we're both, we have that kind of, what is it, tall poppy syndrome, where if you're seen to be, you know, 
kind of really making yourself out to be a big person, then, you know, you have to cut that person down to size and make sure they know where they're coming from. And so I think that has probably impacted it. Like Becky said, there is so there are so many amazing indie RPGs that have come from from the UK in particular. Again, our publishing uh, our publishing industry isn't as well developed as we might like it to be here in Ireland. But yeah, like um, Gregor Hutton, um, Box Ninja, like yeah. has produced some really like groundbreaking and and really kind of again influential indie RPGs from from that imprint. Things like Best Friends. Um, 316, you know, those have really been taken by the US indie scene and, you know, people have used those as inspiration for for later games. And there was, I can never remember the name of them, but there was a group of people down in the south of England somewhere in, I want to say Portsmouth, um, either Portsmouth or Plymouth, Plymouth, I think. The Pompey crew. Pompey crew, Pompey yeah. Crew. Where was that? That's Portsmouth. Yeah. That's Portsmouth. the, the yeah. Witch Road to Lindisfarne guys. Lindisfarne. Ah, is it them? Which is which is yeah. one of the most amazing, not just indie games, but one of the most amazing RPGs I've ever played. It just it consistently produces yeah. really, really, you know, intense and emotional role playing experiences. It's such a strongly written game, you know. And and we have we have this tradition, you know, or certainly in the UK. It's such a strong tradition of, of indie games and there used to be a convention dedicated to indie games um, called yes. uh, on something it was one of the con ones what was it called um i know which one you mean uh contingency maybe yes. you know i can't remember um but it was it was uh i think it's i think because of venue issues they've had to shut it down but like there was a regular convention that only ran uh, indie rpgs that ran every year specifically for people to go and try and play new indie RPGs. And also there's London Indie Meet is an indie RPG uh, games club that meets like when I was living in London, this is a couple of years ago now, it was meeting at least twice a week. Often like the members would meet up more frequently than that. So it's again a really, really strong tradition of, of playing and playing and designing and running indie RPGs in the UK. So Becky, uh, before uh, you know, in our little text, you uh, you mentioned that one thing which you thought was lacking in the UK were panels. Somehow, what what did you mean by that? So, um, one I'm of the trying to organize more panels. So, I'm very keen to hear uh, what you. Mean. <laughs> I'm a big fan of panels. I love panels. I love uh, panels. I love workshops. I love the idea of game jams, but I've never been you know lucky enough to go to them and although if you go to the really big conventions like the uk games expo or dragon meet there are panels um a lot of the panels at them tend to be modifius and Pelgrane and chaosium do always do a great panel but it's a panel on what we've got coming up next and there tends to be less in the way of the sort of panels i see um coming out of the us and canada um, which are going to be, let's have a panel talking about romance in role-playing games. Let's have a panel talking about consent mechanics in role-playing games, different ways of doing that, you know. yeah. And I think that's the thing, that we do have a tiny little bit of that at our big conventions, but it's much, much bigger in the US and it's much more ubiquitous. And I would love to see more of a tradition in the UK of talking about design theory um, about safety mechanics and consent as panels and having really big conversations about it. And I know that like in Nordic LARP, they have, uh, I wouldn't say, 
Nudipunt, which is a a convention. It's a LARP convention, but they have a load of panels again talking about LARP design theory, about safety mechanic theory, about world building design. And I just think that's a thing that we've got a little bit of, but we don't have enough of it. It's a really cool thing and we need more of it. It's a really weird thing. I seem to have been doing a lot of that in game shops and board game cafes but not at conventions because it's the, the really weird thing certainly with having been to a lot of American conventions now and a lot of British and European ones is that British and European ones people go to game they are there to game yeah. 24 hours a day for the yeah. entire convention and a panel is a distraction as interesting as you might find it as much of a fan of the company or the people on it you might be you've gone there to game Whereas in the American conventions, as you say, there seems to be much more of a balance of I'm here to game, but I'm here to learn. Yeah. I'm here to learn and participate in these panels so that my own games will be better and my own craft will improve. And I can get some hints and tips and, you know, find out what I need to do. Because, yeah, the panels I've done in the States have always been incredibly well attended. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always been really valuable learning experiences for me to be on and and learn from my fellow panelists but at the UK ones and some of the European ones yeah there's usually you and maybe half a dozen other people when you know the several thousand folks at the convention because they're out there gaming yeah and it matches the little interaction I had with organizers of uh, Dragon Mead and uh, Twitter Sex and Expo uh, when we were suggesting idea with the podcast zone for instance that they've been Dragon Me has been brilliant and super welcoming of that initiative. Uh, but as soon as we talk about, let's try to do something like a, a live panel or things like that, which we would record, uh, the, the feedback, which I perfectly understand, is that there are not big drawers. And when you see the space they take, uh, this is space which the attendees themselves would prefer to see allocated to gaming tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the um, some of the best RPG panels that I've been on in you know at Ireland, in Irish or UK conventions um, were actually not at an RPG convention at all. Um, they were, and actually one of them, Becky, was also on, but they were at Nine Worlds, which was more of a, a kind of a geek cultural convention. More so, it had like an RPG track but it wasn't RPG specifically. But again, the panels and seminars formed a really big part of their the the geek convention culture and so that was something that they represented really strongly and as a result the rpg panels at that were really really interesting and and really well attended as well but you know so it's kind of it's it's you know ironic to me that like some of the best rpg panels have been not an rpg convention that's just how the the culture goes I would also go on further and say that I think if we've got a gap in the um, gaming convention schedule in the UK and Ireland, it's that we don't have a Metatopia. I've never been to Metatopia, but every time Metatopia is on, my social media feed is full of it. And I go and look at all the panels that get put up afterwards that people record. And have you, you've been to Metatopia, haven't you, Yeah, yeah. Quite Make you jealous. I really like it. It's it's one of my favorite conventions actually in the US. Yeah, it's just it's a, again it's a really strong collaborative learning and kind of collaboratively supporting other people within the industry. So whether that's through 
professionals or professional developers or professional designers play testing newer designers games and giving them really useful feedback and in, in terms of how to improve it or industry professionals doing panels on industry related topics you know again you know from everything like as well as the the rpg design writing but also into the production side of things which is even less spoken about on panels as a person who who's largely on the production side so it's uh, sorry because uh, for the people unlike me who are not familiar with Metatopia, uh, so it's a professional convention. Then uh, is that uh, what I it's understand not, from what you're explaining? What I'm is it actually? I don't think it's professional only, but it's it's certainly the majority of the attendees are either working in RPGs or have written or designed an RPG. So it's. It's just a, a collection of people who are really more interested in the production of RPGs rather than playing them. You know, every, every, so everybody, the focus everybody's is on welcome, the, but uh, yeah, the focus is but, on the sharing. Uh, and the, the focus is there. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's explicitly professionals only, um, but but certainly there is the expectation that if you're there, you will have a very strong interest in the professional side of the hobby if that makes sense, more, more so than it's not a convention you would go to just to play games in the same way that you would go to Gen Con or Origins or somewhere like that. It is more of a collaborative. You're expected to kind of contribute to the, the, to the greater culture if you go there in whatever kind of aspect your, uh, your talents and your abilities lie. You're expected to kind of contribute that into the pool to help everyone who goes. So it's a really... Really collaborative and supportive convention. Yeah, I think what I love about it in so much is that the saying saying that sounds like it's kind of exclusive in a way that you're kind of you have to be a creator or a designer. But what I think I love about the idea of Metatopia and that I'd love to see in the UK is to me it's a recognition that all of us in this hobby, even if all yeah. we do is buy a D and D module and run it. All of us are engaging in an act of creation every time we game. Yep. So the idea of Metatopia to me is it's how do I DM a D&D &D dungeon module better right up to how do I create a trail of Cthulhu and publish it and print it? Because all of us are engaging in creative endeavor. Yep. All of us can learn to do it better. I can, be a, I can learn to be a better player, for goodness sake. You know, I'm sure that there's things I mess up every time yeah. I open my mouth. You know, And I love the idea that it's a convention which has at its heart practical gaming experience. You go and you play games, but it's about learning how can I GM better? How can I play better? How can I design better? How can I produce better? And for me, it's that idea that it is a convention about saying, let's collaboratively, like you said, Kat, come together and raise the bar of the hobby. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a much better way, I think, of expressing what it is it does yeah it's it's it is very much it it acknowledges that everyone all of us have something really you know we all have things that we're really good at and it just asks you to bring whatever that is to the table to help everyone else so yeah it's yeah Sounds like we found your next project, Kat. And uh, maybe Lynn can, through Chaosium, can sponsor it somehow. That would be uh, just brilliant and amazing. Anything else uh, any of you has to say on the topic of convention? And then we will have to start with the send-off. 
because we have children to take care of and uh, a number of things. And sadly, I mean, there's so much. I'm gonna my my exit gonna be a lot of plugs for British RPG podcast and streams because uh, yeah, we did not even discuss about those. But uh, yeah, there could be a panel on their own. Uh, so yeah, could uh, your final word and uh, plug yourself, plug away everything you're you're working on uh, right now, Lynn. Would you oh, do right. the... um, one thing I would say about conventions is find your local convention and support it because they're only going to run if you go to them. Yep. Um, they need bums on seats. So please support your local convention. Um, in terms of plugging stuff. Oh, wow. Um, well, Chaosim are keeping me very, very busy these days with a lot of things that I'm not allowed to talk about and a few things <laughs> that I am. Um so, yes, just keep your eyes open. We've got a lot of stuff coming out uh, in the near future. Uh, you're not going to run out of Call of Cthulhu stuff to play for a very long time is probably about the best thing I can say. Um, and if you want to follow me, I'm at Cogs and Cakes on Twitter. Becky? Um, I think that if there was anything I didn't say in this panel, it's that... I think that there's a lot of great stuff coming out of the US at the moment on safety mechanics in games, on how we can have better, more consensual conversations, really taking into account everybody's needs at the table. And I think at the moment in the UK, we're, we're adopting a lot of that stuff, which is great, but I don't think that we're pushing the envelope on it. I don't think that we're really throwing ourselves and trying to build on what the US are doing. I think that we're very happy adopting it, but I would like to see a UK tradition of taking what the, the conversations the US are having around that and pushing it further to say, how can we be better people to each other when we sit around the gaming table? Because I think there's more work to be done. Um, plugging, plugging, I suppose you should plug, should I? Uh, blackarmadagames.com. You go over there, we've got a mailing list, and we've got a Patreon now. Um, and uh, I'm at Becky Anison on Twitter. I'm going to plug for Becky. Check out the episode of She's a Super Geek about Bite Me. Listen to it. Realize how awesome She's a Super Geek is and go immediately vote for them for an any award because it should be gold. And that's it. <laughs> Actually, go vote right away because I don't know when is the deadline. Go vote for She's a Super Geek right now. You can watch this later. It's going to be on YouTube. You don't care. Go, 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 go vote. Go vote. <laughs> Kat, so what is the date for the first, uh, I'm going to call that. Uh, I've, got, I've got two, con two conventions to, to set up now. I've got, I've got the Chaosium, or the, not the Chaosium convention, but the Lulu convention. Um, and I've also got the, the UK and Irish Metatopia as well to set up. So I'm going to be busy. Um, but um, yeah, so just touching on like what, what Becky said about the one thing that I didn't say um, and, and something that I think that one of the big differences between like the, the US and UK is, is the sense of um, collaboration on a professional sense. Um, so again, we have really strong connections with US companies. You know, we share a lot of information there, but there are very particular um, pain points and issues that UK-based companies have. And I think that something I would love to see more in the UK is more of a conversation between all of the UK RPG publishing companies, of which there, there are quite a few now between all of the, um, the more trad ones, but also all of the indie companies. I would re really love to see, and again, it might just be that we need to set up this UK Metatopia to do it, but it would be great to have better um, 
within the UK and Ireland conversations about those about kind of shared issues and shares shared opportunities and things rather than having the strong connections be going across the pond make a lot more sense to be to be doing that locally I think um, but in, ter- in terms of plugging um, gosh, so we're, we're uh, pellegrinepress.com um, we're working on a number of, of really exciting things at the moment still waiting for the LK or the Yellowking RPG to come out. We've had some significant issues with the printers on that, but that's going to be coming uh, in the kind of autumn uh, 2019. Um, I'm really excited about Knights Black Agent Solo Ops, which is our one-player, one-GM version of our Spies versus Vampires modern-day game. So that's hopefully, if the printers will it, that'll hopefully be out of Gen Con, and so it should be available on general release towards the end of August. Um, and actually talking about... Uh, the publishing industry in Ireland, I'm in the process of setting up an Irish games company, which is going to be called Taspy Games. And that's hopefully going to be publishing more uh, Irish writers and more Irish RPGs. Um, so keep an eye out for that over the coming year or so. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at CatTHM. Amazing. And if you do Metatopia in Britain uh, and you've got a panel and you need a host, <laughs> someone with a slightly f- exotic accent you can always ask so you were mentioning a, a black ops solo uh, uh, sorry a nice black Asian uh, solo ops uh, I'm going to go with plugs of our British podcast so the GM and me is a podcast uh, from I think reading uh, it's all about two players games uh, you can check Grant Owitz, Hearty Dice Friend. And if you have ideas of games which you'd like to see happen, but you're not keen on developing them yourself, you can suggest your ideas and Grant and Chris will develop them. You can have uh, your bunch of Call of Cthulhu and even a little bit of Curse of Strat with All We Roll podcast by Joe Trier here in the UK. You can check out, I really recommend the Grognard Files to deep dive in the British culture uh, of roping game. It's got this really comfortable leather-bound uh, uh, coach kind of feel. And if you want to hear about players here in London or across the channel, uh, well, I interviewed James Wallace, I interviewed people at conventions here. Uh, my latest series was here at MCM Comic Con London with a lot of critters from not only the UK, but all over Europe. Uh, yeah, come check out the Rollist podcast. It's at Rollist Pod. So it's R O L I S T E S P O D. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on iTunes, Podchaser. I don't have enough reviews. Please go write them. I'm even on TikTok now because I'm there to try to tell youngsters and different demographics to try different games. I think I'm the only one not talking about Dungeons and Dragons or making jokes about bots there. So come check me out. This was the RPG Academy first panel for Academic Online. Please join one of our games. We don't have enough players and uh, some free live games, a bunch of stuff. Uh, please support the RPG Academy through Patreon. Uh, we're doing this out of the hobby, but we do have expense, so your support is greatly appreciated. And it's 30 past 6. There's one thing we like in Great Britain is punctuality. Trains are always on time, aren't they? <laughs> so on that, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you so much to my lovely guest, Uh Hello to Liz. Uh, I hope I will be able to interview her in the near future. Go check 
Uncaged Volume 1 and 2 if you're looking for really cool adventures for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's awesome. And check everyone on DNA Awards. Thank you so long. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs>